This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank User Interviews for sponsoring this episode. Folks, after the holiday period, many of us start to feel that pinch in our bank balances. I know with having young kids, I certainly do. So earning a little extra income never hurts. That's where User Interviews can help you out. It's completely free to sign up. By giving some of your time, you can get paid for providing feedback on new or existing products with companies like Spotify, Adobe, Intuit and Amazon, among those looking to speak with quality participants. Most studies are less than one hour and pay over $68. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-to-one interview. This is one that really does give you something back for your time and I'm really glad to be able to give folks an opportunity to make a bit of extra cash at a very tough time of year. So why not even stick on an episode of the podcast while you sign up? That can take less than five minutes. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Then head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. You mentioned Hitchhiker Effect and you've you mentioned George Knapp. George Knapp has said he's had the same thing happen and he's not went into detail with it, but he told me on, on the podcast I'd done with him last year or the year before, he's been on a few times, that his wife had effects from something coming back with him. Thomas Winterton, the ranch superintendent, has said the same thing. His family have had incidents happen back at their home and then we've heard from Brandon Fugel and others that it's happened to countless officials and other people who have who have dealt with the property as well. And this, this must happen all around the planet. What I would like to know, uh, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to wrap up here for part one, and part two will be released in a few days' time, folks. So if you hear the bell coming in a second or that UFO sound bite, thanks very much for listening to part one. Make sure you tune in again for part two. The question that's going to lead into part two, though, is... In this time, have you had, during your research, anyone in an official capacity, whether that was police, military or government, get in touch with you about your research or what you were doing? Yes, I have, yeah, yeah. Uh, Coast Guard and police. Police have, have spoken to me regarding the missing people and uh, Coast Guard, off the record, have spoke to me about UFO related events and uh, there's probably more if I because obviously we haven't pre-planned these questions so off top of my head and I've got police officers who come out onto the clifftops with me and go into the forests with me uh, who are interested but as as regards military personnel no and I'm probably going to kick myself someone will come into my head afterwards but uh, there's nothing that's springing to mind so there's never been any sort of men in black type scenario or any kind of suited officials. It's always been ab- above board. Oh, you make a good point. Um, whilst looking whilst looking into the animal mutilations back in 2017 to 19, Bob Brown, who was in, who was in our one of our properties, the top flat, weren't living in that property at the time. And he was coming out with me on a regular basis. He told me one morning he works. He works. Bob's seventy-five now, so he'd have been in. Well, in, he'd have been in seventy, and he works at a charity shop every day. So I think that tells you something about character that guy. Uh, he used to walk into work on a morning. He says, "There's." He said he'd seen a UFO. He, he was staying at a house on a place called Cardigan Road in Bridlington. They're quite affluent houses. He were dog sitting for this this guy who'd gone away, and he used to take the dog for a walk on the beach on a morning, and. 
I don't know which came first because I wrote about it in Truth Row 3. The big, big enclosed back garden and this, this collie dog. He said, we sat watching TV one, one evening with the lights off and there's a small conservatory in front of some, a, a window with a door. He says, and dog suddenly looks up. We'll get to the beach in a minute, Andy, because I don't know which one came first. I can't remember now. He says, now look, there's a bloke he says, that looks like Zorro. Picture the, the hat and the... Uh, uh, I can see the outline of him. He says, the dog's going mad. He said, so I got up, let the dog out. The dog's just running around the garden barking. There's nobody there. It's a big walled garden. Fenced gardens, apologies. Fenced garden uh, with other properties at the back. Uh, but as I say... Big affluent houses. And uh, then he said, I took the dog on the beach one morning and I don't know which one came first. I think the UFO came first. He said, and there's a silver ball over the sea. I'm looking at this thing. Says, I just can't believe I'm looking at it. He says, because I like, the, I love the subject of UFOs and we're all this out. He says, he told, he told me all about it. And then things started to happen for him. He said, I'm walking to work on a morning and there's a big black car past me. And these were just these were just casual observations. I mean, the, the silver ball he told me about weren't linked to this figure that he'd seen at the door at the time. And this black car, he said it were a big American-style black car passed him. And then when he's walking home, it passes him again. So I can't remember exact date, but anybody who wants to sort of Google the World Dart Championships, it was that year and it were held in Bridlington. Uh, and I think we're looking at 2017. And so... He's in this house, daylight. And he said, and there's a knock at the door, the front door. And there's a small porch at the where the people take the boots off, only about two or three foot wide. So you've got obscure glass into the property, but clear glass outside. He says, and I can, looking through this frosted glass, and I can see the shape of two suit, what looked like suited men with hats on. He says, and I opened the door, and they stood there. He said, and they're very tall. Well, Bob's, I'm only five foot. To six, Bob's about five foot two, so they're going to look tall to Bob. He said, but they're very tall, very thin, really white faces. He says, and I went, can I help you? He says, and just open the door a bit. He says, you've seen something you shouldn't have seen. He said, what do you mean? He said, and then they said some more things to him that he can't remember. He said, and in the end, he says, I became a bit frightened. I slammed the door, shut the other door. He'd already put the dog outside in the garden before, as they were knocking when they knocked because the dog were going mad he says and I ran upstairs I can picture Bob running He's, he didn't run but he, that's what he said uh, upstairs to have a look out of the front window to see where they'd gone it's night it was light when they came but it's night time do you know he'd not even picked up on it until we got talking do you know what I mean said I looked up and down the street the street lights are on said Bob you saw me in daylight and that kind of gave him a bit of a chill. He didn't want to stay at property after that. I know that's not my experience, Andy. That's just, is it a man in, men in black experience? I don't know. Do you know, the, I, I really don't know. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Coast Guard, or one particular Coast Guard who was very high up within the service. And he's, his words to me, and I, I, I wrote it all down at one time. He said, you will never find a document, anything worded in any any." report that allures to unexplained phenomena or lights or ufos i know for a fact that they've invested that they've been involved in what they've called ufo incidents 
and it's all been suppressed. I get the information via freedom information request if I get a first-hand witness and I've got an actual date and I can throw it at them. Wills Thorpe, September the 15th, 2009, an old lady on in these flats at Wilsthorpe, the 16 flats, just literally a stone's throw, literally into the North Sea, nothing either side of them for a few miles and just farmland at the back. They were built in 1935 and there's just these 16 flats in blocks of four, quite quite isolated. An old lady saw, claimed she saw uh, a circle of UFOs over the sea at Wilsthorpe in 2009. And I've got absolutely richest array of reports from 2009 around that area that I've ever had and ever researched. And the, the, milit when I, the military came the day after. She, what she said to me was, the next day after I'd seen these objects, her husband saw them as well, uh, he, he was terrified. He went, he went to bed. He said, I put my head under pillar. I didn't want to look out till morning. She watched them for over an hour. Sorry, just under an hour. She went out. She, she went to shut up at late at night. The flats have a communal outside light. Anybody can put theirs on. Or it's the same light. She thought next mm -hmm. door had left the light on. Opened the porch, looked in. She said, "Light isn't on, but it's somehow it's illuminated." So, so I turned back round and go into the living room, and a voice said to her, "Go back and have another look." So she did. She said, and then when I looked. She said, I thought, oh, my God. She said, there's just a circle of these things over the sea, and the sea's boiling. She shouted her husband. He came and looked. Uh, he'd seen enough. He said to me that it, it frightened him. She watched it for just under an hour. They were moving away in twos. She said, then the next day the military came, uh, and they'd got big searchlights on sea. Because a lot of these flats, Andy, they're not they're not occupied year round. A lot of them are used for holiday flats. There's about sure. three people that live in them and they've lived them all not all their life, but twenty or thirty years. So I thought, where do I go with this? She can't remember a date. And but we with a rough idea it was two, between two thousand eight and two thousand eleven. So I'm going through archives and I thought I'd found a big cat report. It said uh, uh visitors see links. So when I read it, it's Lynx helicopter. So quite unexpectedly, two Lynx helicopters arrive on the 15th of September, two Chinooks, army vehicles, and they set up camp side of the flats. So we know this is the night after. Uh, all these things are supposed to be prearranged and done in advance. They requisitioned the cabin at the yacht club which is, it sounds a bit more exotic than it is outside of these flats. It's just catamarans, a tractor, and a, a big sort of porter cabin. Yeah. Yacht Club had no idea they were coming. I know that because my son-in-law has a catamaran there. He got moved off. So none of the, nothing was planned. They just arrived. They stayed for two days. Uh, the, 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 so that's where I got the dates. I put the freedom of information request in. Uh, they couldn't deny that they'd been there. They're not going to say it's a UFO-related event, obviously. And I've only got a, this first-hand account from this lady. We know that there's another sighting that same night that went to Coast Guard, but can I get it? No, I cannot get hold of it. And we know that a witness said that she saw orange spheres of light coming from the, the right-hand side and orange spheres of light coming from the left to, towards or merging into what looked like a large black yacht sail over the sea. It's triangle in it, you know, that's what it sounds like to me. And if they don't mean on surface, I see they mean in the air. I know this, Do I, how do I know this report exists? Because the Coast Guard 
has had a look and told me, but it doesn't exist if you ask. Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, but it's there. The information is there. Uh, there's another one. Well, there's quite a few. There's, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Let's just say there's, there's quite a lot of stuff that I've managed to obtain just by having, as you know, you've got to put the right wording in and the correct year and everything. Otherwise, you could, if you got it a day out and they didn't want to get information, they're not going to tell you. Uh, yeah, but the, the, folks, to... the folks have put that kind of work in. You know, there's Grant Levac, does it, a listener who is in Australia, and you've got John Greenwald and others in the US. Obviously, John Greenwald makes a living from it quite rightly. He's, he's very good at what he does, and he reports that. I know I've spoken to uh, Jazz Shaw, journalist as well, and he's talked about FOIA, putting in FOIA requests for documents he actually had and being told the document didn't exist. And he had the document already. And it's just that's that, like you say, it can be the person, the date. If they don't want you to have it, you're not going to get it. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, if I can think of, right, June the 15th, tornado ZE723 disappears from radar over the North Sea. I, at the time, I were very, I, I were always going into the lifeboat station at, uh, at Bridlington. And they're very good with me. A lot of lifeboat stations were letting me look through logs. And uh, we're, we're also looking on system. The guy's not doing anything untoward. He's, he's, I'm, I'm just asking him for information. I'm not asking for anything secret. And I come across this thing that said, this is on a lifeboat log, not a Coast Guard log. It said object. So this is roughly the time that the tornado vanished. I think it was a few days before. And it said, large black object seen to fall from the sky Land on the surface of the sea, seen by Hornsey and, and Witherensea fishermen. Lifeboat deployed, nothing to be seen, object. So I thought, right, I'm going to request freedom of information request into Coast Guard. I've got the date. I've seen it on the lifeboat log. I've, I've actually got it. I've got it now. Lifeboat guys gave it me. Uh, you know, I put a request into lifeboat and they sent it me. They'd redacted the word object. But I'd, it was too late. I'd seen it. So I'm not going to, it was there, even if it's not on report now. It did say objects. That's exactly what it was called. But when I put it into Coast Guard with the exact details, the exact times, no knowledge of it. No knowledge of it. Yet it was Coast Guard that rang lifeboat to go out. So I know exactly what you're saying there, Andrew. I would call you Andrew, Sunday name there. Uh, Sunday name, get me in trouble. <laughs> I was wondering, uh, through through your years of research, not to keep you know saying you've been doing this for a long time, but you have, and, and you've put a lot of work in over that time. Is there any one or, or maybe a couple of opinions you've had from the early days that just through the work you've put in and the investigations have changed substantially over that time? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would think that the cryptid-related part of the subject, never thought I would even be remotely interested. Apart from as a teenager looking at, horror films and things thinking christ this is a bit spooky and gets you on edge i didn't really place any great value on on the the cryptid related reports and then do me a favor paul some some listeners might be listening to this and i've talked about it on some podcasts but depending when they come into different interviews what do you mean by cryptid cryptid uh, bigfoot type reports people claiming to have actually seen something akin to a werewolf yeah and Paul Sinclair never thought he would be looking into anything like that. But, you know, when writing the first book, I got a few reports from Danes Dyke, which is about three miles from me, and a place called Flixton in North Yorkshire, which is 11 miles from me. 
Flixton has the oldest report of a werewolf probably in the world, the Flixton werewolf. And I, and I don't think anybody's written more about it than myself. I mean, people talk about, you might have heard about Old Stinker, the, the, the werewolf that is said to exist on the Balmston drain. All the, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of the reports associated with that story come from Flixton, 45 miles away. Uh, they've just attached themselves to, to that story to add a bit more credence to it. But the Flixton werewolf, I've got reports going back to the 1930s. I've got reports from present day of this this bipedal fur-covered creature that's said to exist, be intermittently around the area. Andy, I do not think for one second that we have something living and breathing that's managing to forge an existence in these locations. It's something else. The, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it is, there is an unexplained aspect to things that of this nature that people are reporting. You know, if we go back to 937 AD, that's well over a thousand years ago, uh, you've, you've got the, the then King Athelstan, who, who, who in his writings writes that he wants uh, a refuge built at Flixton for the protection of travellers from wolves. Now, we all know that wolves would have been prevalent on the eastern North Yorkshire, all over the United Kingdom in 937 AD, 1,034 years ago. Bears wouldn't have been. They, they, they died out long before. So why did I say bears? Because the writing says from wolves and an infestation of savage beasts. Even back then, well, it's not said werewolf. Is, but even that back then, you've got this that, that little weird little tagline. Then you go three miles away and you've got a place called East Ayton. And folklore tells that a, a writer called Howard Brealey, 121 years ago, wrote about the bar guest of East Ayton, which the bar guest was a huge, fearsome hound that was sent to haunt the forests and moors of that area. It's about seven miles away. We've been doing the documentary now for three years called Wolflands. We've got witnesses who were in a forest called Broxa Forest, which is literally two miles from East Ayton, who claim to have seen something like that. We've got gamekeepers seven miles away at Cropton Forest, who claim to have seen something exactly the same. None of these people know each other. We've got about 12, uh, yeah, 12 witnesses in Wolflands, first-hand accounts, diversity of people unrelated unconnected all claiming to have seen something very similar within this concentrated location uh, you know the gamekeeper took believer in all this but what's interesting it started with light form phenomena he's walking back to he was he was he's, in his own words he said i'd gone a little bit feral he said and i was living in a caravan at first as a gamekeeper in 2002 at a place called stape in north yorkshire close to cropton forest six or seven miles from Broxa Forest, where the Rotherham witnesses had their encounter in 2018. He said, and I found a, he says, you can walk these paths all over the place in these forests. There's 525 square miles of forest and moor. So there's, and a lot of it's never trodden on. He said, but you very rarely go off, off path into the forest. He says, on this particular day, I just ventured in, I'd been working there a couple of years. There's a farmhouse, abandoned. Abandoned since 1956, he found out. It says there's tall pines, 40-foot pines, tight up to the sides of it, at the back of it, and about 30 foot in front. So there's clear, a bit of clear fell and then more pines. I used it as a base. He said, I thought, this is better than caravan. There's a well. There's a fire. 
said, so that's where I, that's, I set up base. He said, and I'd been there a while. My cousin came to stay with me for a few days. He says, and we're walking back along the logging road and his ex-Marine, this guy, this is that'll make sense in a moment. He said, and suddenly a light, a silent baseball-sized light just shoots up at the side of him. He says, I dropped my cousin, my Danny, to the deck and I expected squaddies to come out because we're very close to Filingdales, area of Filingdales. Uh, two miles away, he says, I expected squaddies to come out. I thought we'd caught a tripwire flare. Nothing. He says, I came back the next day. There's there's no magnesium burns. There's nothing. He said, but then, he said, my cousin went home that next day. He said, but then, with the other gamekeeper, we, we started to hear a baby crying in forest. And uh, he said, whenever we went to where we thought we'd heard this baby, he stopped and it had, good, it had appeared to start again deeper in don't forget these are gamekeepers they're not they're not listening to a, a fox or a cat or an yeah. hedgehog that's been caught by you know because i've not it don't sound macabre people but i've been brought up in country and an hedgehog sounds uncannily like a, an infant if it's been attacked you know they do cry which is not nice but anyway he didn't know what it was a few days passed he's in the farmhouse he said there's all and it feels like there's somebody watching him at all times right onto his shoulder he said it's weird so I'm laid in the farmhouse. He says, the front door's bolted up, the back door's barricaded up, and I've got a fire going, and I'm in my sleeping bag. And I don't know what time it was, but he woke up, and he looked up at this window, little square windows, no curtains, nothing. He's in the middle of nowhere. He says, and this thing just come to the window. He says, and it filled the window. He says, and it's stooping down, looking in. We've been back, we've measured it. It's well over seven foot tall. He said, he had a monstrous head. Great big deltoids, as he's saying, and it's looking in. And he says, I'm, the, the glowing embers of the fire, he says, I don't know if it can see me, but it's looking down. I don't see eyes. I don't see teeth. I just see this monstrous outline. He said, so the next night, he said, I decided, in his words, to get the drop on it. And he's not, he don't mean he's going to attack this thing or try and shoot it. He said, but if in the clearing where the pine trees go about 30 foot away, he says, I put a tarp down. I got settled in. He says, because I just couldn't settle. I felt like I'd been watched everywhere I went before I'd even seen this thing. He says, and sometime in early hours, he says, it came out of the forest. Arrived. This is another unusual aspect to these sightings. It didn't walk. He said, it arrived. He said, he said, it said, what, just above the gutter. He said, and it, it knew just where it were going. And it turned and it looked in the window. He says, and I'm watching this thing. And it thinks, and I've put a sleeping bag in the farmhouse, packed with clothing. He says, so I'm watching it, watching, it thinks it's watching me. He said, and it's just stood there and I can see these huge shoulders. He says, I don't remember even seeing his legs. He said, and there's tufts of grass and seeds. He said, and you'd, you'd think you'd see some kind of body movement. He said, but it, were, it moved just smoothly to spot. He said, and suddenly I realised that I kind of knew it, knew I were there. He said, I can't explain how, either that or there were another one watching me. He said, I don't, it were weird. He said, after five or ten minutes, it turned and went back in the forest. He says, I sat there then, another 20, 25 minutes, he said, and I went round the back of the farmhouse and in. I would have been terrified. I don't know what I'd have done. You know, I, I really would. Yeah. I think I'd have stayed where I was. But he went in. The next day, he packed his things up and he'd never been back until he came back in forest with us. We'd I mean, been back several times, actually, over years. I think the cell guns at a place 
a few miles away. So he's, in, he's still into his, his hunting and his shooting. So he's been back for that. But but we've actually been back and spent nights in forest now. So, you know, he, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fabulous story. What's interesting, and we've not got this in Wolflands, Andy, because it's only, this has troubled him. It's only just come back to him. Literally, this last two weeks, and it's too late now for us to add to Wolflands, the night that they found the sphere of the, the, the sphere of light burst up from the ground at the side of them, they couldn't find the farmhouse. He said, I don't know why I've never remembered it to this time, to this day. He said, but we couldn't find the farmhouse. We had to sleep outside. We had to build a fire and sleep outside all night, which is impossible because I know where they saw sphere of light. And although it were forested then, it's still only 200 yards away in a direct yeah. line. Strange, uh, but you've got the, you've got this strange. There's so many things that take these 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 creatures, for want of a better word. And do I believe they exist? Yeah, I do believe they exist. Would I have said that four or five years ago? Definitely not. Uh, but I've, I've too many people, good people, telling me these incredible stories. But there's so many things that take them away from a normal flesh and blood creature. I've said before, Paul, and for some strange reason, maybe it's years of being brought up on Hollywood movies, I struggle to associate the same levels of activity that are reported in other parts of the world as, as happening in the UK. The same way if I go and watch a film and someone Scottish is on the screen, it's like, oh, it, it takes it takes me out it slightly. Um, for you, though, is the UK as interesting a, a multi-phenomena hotspot as anywhere else in the world? I would think so. Uh, but I would also say that there'll be other places all over the world that probably haven't even got a name uh, that we'd know that are just as active. Do you know? I mean, the, an American guy came through to see me a few years ago and he'd been to Skinwalker. He'd been to the, is it the Hoyabaku Forest in, is it Romania? That's supposed to be a highly charged area for unexplained phenomena. And he wanted to try Bempton. The only place that he had an experience was Bempton. And, it, and it's not, it wasn't something life-changing. He said that uh, he's, he's camping on the cliff tops. He went for a walk early hours at morning. And we've experienced this, what, it, what, he's, what he was talking about. I knew what he was going to say. Well, somebody said the noise. He says, as I walked, he said, he said, and it's very close to where these sheep were being mutilated. Uh, he says, as I'm walking along cliff tops, he said, suddenly I walk into a, I pitch sound in my ear. So I stop, step back, it's gone. Step forward, it's there. Step forward again, it's gone. Step back, it's there. And we've heard it. We, I've only heard it once. I'm not going to say I've heard it lots of times. I've heard it once. There's numerous people being up onto the cliff tops and experienced it. I went, I went up, the time I heard it, I was with a guy called Steve Ashbridge and, and a lady called, an actress called Kelly Hollis. I don't know if you know, from Shameless. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, at that time, Kelly and Steve were in a relationship, should we say. And Steve's one of my best friends. And I just suddenly went, I don't know if you can hear this, but there's a strange high pitched noise. She says, I can hear it. Steve couldn't hear it. And she'd got her hands over her ears in the end. And uh, yeah, really, really strange. And she says, if it carries on, we're going to have to go. It's, it's uncomfortable. But it stopped. The, the noise stopped, whatever that noise was. 
See, off the coast of the US, people report that these objects may have bases, and you'll be well aware of those sorts of reports. Um, the famous, recently famous cases being the Nimitz, you know, incident, people say off the coast of Catalina, uh, those islands that are potentially bases, these objects may be kept. Given the activity you've witnessed and you've talked about in the localities in, in the, the northeast of England, do you think we have potentially got bases or potential evidence for bases underwater around the UK? I think it's possible, you know. I mean, uh, I've personally witnessed spheres of light under the water. Once a sphere, circular lights under the water with Bob Brown. I've got lots of reports of lights under the water. And there's, it's interesting because what you've got on old maps, and this will get back to the bases, uh, in a certain area, about 10 to 15 miles off Bempton and Flamborough, it's, they say a, a magnetic anomaly is said to exist in this location. And you've got fishermen who've fished the area for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, never come across anything. And then they'll tell you that this particular day, they're steaming out, as they say. Suddenly, Compass is just doing what it wants. We know where we are because we're seasoned fishermen. Uh, but they're, they're going out to their fishing grounds. But in that area as well, there's an area where you, nobody can fish, and, and it's a submarine training ground, which is very uh, – there's very little known about it. Do you know what I mean? And you've got a crater yeah. there, huge impact crater called the Silver Pit Crater. Uh, and so there's a lot of people suggested that there could be underwater activity, underwater bases. I mean, I'm not in a position to say, yes, there is. We've got reports of UFOs coming out of the water – I've never personally seen anything coming out of the water, but I've got more than one report. I've probably got five or six reports, and it's always in the same, a similar location. It's always off the point of Flamborough and Bempton, about 10 to 15 miles out that these things are seen. So I suppose there's, there's a possibility. Well, outside of the UK right now, I mentioned the US, there are wheels in motion where potentially we may see individuals coming forward to testify to Congress about various aspects of the UFO topic. How much do you keep up to date with what's going on across the water? Uh, I don't. Seriously. And maybe I should, but I don't. I find I'm that immersed in what I'm doing. Um, and and that's, not, that's not to say that there, there aren't some absolutely incredible pieces of information out there but that's something i noticed with you andy when you, you know when you were talking on on truth proof live stream our live stream you, you're very you're very entrenched in in the up-to-date news you you know what's happening and i don't i, I re, i've really got no idea out of what's happening really outside of my little world <laughs> you know I'm going to be completely honest and admit that I do love a bit of cool technology, but not all the best tech is classified. So when Blendjet got in touch about their new Blendjet 2.0, I was very excited to try it out, especially as one of those protein shake people that many folks hate. Just shaking never has the same results as a blender does, let's be fair. Blend Jet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blend Jet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, a big one for me folks, and it lasts for 15 or more blends, and recharges quickly via USB-C. 
Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself, just blend with water, a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 colours available, there is something for everyone. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the carbon fibre. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off, remember folks, and that free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. No, I, I don't blame you, but I'd, I'd love your opinion on this then. So just now, uh, they've passed in their <laughs> defence bill some language, which is basically opening the doors for people who may have knowledge of special access programmes, maybe crash retrieval programmes, any sort of UFO knowledge, essentially, to come forward, to maybe under NDA or feel threatened about coming forward to talk about the UFO subject in a really serious mainstream way. Um, and I just wonder if that does happen in the US and they talk about it politically and in a more open forum, potentially still behind closed doors, do you think we could see any impact in the UK from that? That if things do open up more in the US, that you, you'll know better than anyone, Paul, in the UK, it's just not talked about in a political arena. It's laughed about still. It's, it's reported in a joke yeah. way in the newspaper. Do you I think, think that, that could help us? I think it could help us immensely. You know, there's only so long that you can keep you can, you can keep this firewall up of of denial. Do you know? I think the internet, in a lot of ways, has been a great thing because it's it's just absolutely showed the diversity and the the enormity of what what people are actually seeing, witnessing, experiencing, and if if they're going to have open debate in America by people in officialdom. I think it can only it can only sort of push the cause further further forward in favour of more open debate for people within the United Kingdom. It's, it's, it's snowball; it just gathers pace. I, I think it will. Yeah, I hope so. Listen, I want to get to listener questions, Paul, because you've been very generous with your time already. And um, we've talked a lot about the books, and we're going to get to Will Flange. I've mentioned a few times as well before we finish up. But we've got lots of listener questions for you. Thanks to everyone who sent them in. I've had to leave off more than half of them. Hopefully, some of your questions have been answered in the body of the interview. But I'd love to have Paul back on again in the, the near future, anyway, to get through some more of those. Um, so, first up, Paul, a question from Matt Melvin over on Patreon. Matt asks, did Paul ever get to have a conversation with Brandon Fugel about the similarities between his experiences and those on Skinwalker Ranch? Matt said to me he tried to connect you both back in early 2021. I remember this guy trying to connect, and no, I, I never did. Uh, and I still would, Matt. I still would like to, if, you, if you've still got those, those, those links and uh, the potential to connect me up, please do. Yeah, I would like to. I can give you um, some some of that stuff you need as well if you want to get in touch with Brandon. Um, so, yeah, hard guy to get a hold of. Don't expect a reply necessarily instantly. No, no, but, it's, it's, um, it, 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 it would be fascinating. I'll tell you what I think, uh, Andy. Researchers, and I use that term loosely because I think we're all researchers. If we're involved in the subject, it depends how much time you want to devote to it, but everybody that's got an interest is a researcher to some degree. So I don't think yeah, that's I'm special in that, in that way. But these places where purportedly the things of high strangers are occurring, 
we should be getting together. Uh, you know, if I got something fabulous or incredible that had happened up around this location, it would be good to be able to contact the people in, in other parts of the world and say, look, this has just happened because they might be getting similar things might be happening there. Do you know what I mean? We, yeah. We need to be sharing this information. Everybody's too guarded with the information, and and I, I can see in some instances why. I mean, I've I've coined phrases. I'm, I'll get to your questions in a moment. But I've coined phrases in the past, and I see other researchers using them, and I find that frustrating. They're only words. I don't own anybody's words, but I talked about ILF, intelligent light forms, back in two thousand and two, and people use it now, and, and and nobody ever credits you for it. You know, the lower silence, lots and lots of things, but. I'm rambling here again, Anna. So more questions, please. <laughs> no, that's fine. And uh, look forward to my new Lower Silence podcast starting next week, which I've trademarked and copyrighted, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Dave Smethurst, long-time listener, and I'm pretty sure Dave's spoken to you a few occasions at various uh, um, conferences and whatnot around the UK. Uh, he was at the same one we were at and, and spoke to each other back in October in Manchester. Uh, Dave asks, as Paul has said himself in the UK, it's too small to support many of the alleged large creatures or cryptids seen by many, and you said as much earlier. Oh yeah. Do you think that some of these creatures, they may be projections that mask the true appearance of the entity behind it? And do you think that they may pop in and out of our reality? I think they're definitely and popping in and out of our reality is a good way to say in, in, in and out of our sphere of existence is what I tend to say. Uh, and, and I definitely think that's what's happening. I touched on the fact that we've got 525 square miles of forest, moor and, and, and sort of, I don't know, farming land on the North Yorkshire Moors National Park. Huge area. Could it support a breeding population of what would be, I, I imagine, carnivorous, Three to five hundred pound creatures akin to the size of a bear? No, I don't believe for one second it could. Do I believe that these things are real? Yes, but they're, they're seen intermittently and they're seen in places where throughout time, throughout folklore, these things have been reported. Incidentally, Broxer Forest, where the three guys from Rotherham saw what they believe they called a werewolf. A Broxer in some cultures, is a shapeshifter. They're in a forest called, named after a shapeshifter, which is a strange name, very close to a place called Hackness, literally two miles from Hackness, which in ancient times was called Hachanos, meaning with the whiskers. Do you know that there's loads of con very close to East Aiton and the bar guest of East Aiton? I'm not, I'm not reporting anything new. I, we're, just, we're just sort of retreading the step, footsteps of people Decades, probably hundred years of years ago, have reported these things, and they're still getting reported in present day. Do I believe that they're real? Yes. Do I believe that there's a breeding population of these things? No. Next question from Harry. Thanks to Harry for this over in Patreon again. What are your thoughts on the NATO human mutilation documentary? I don't know if you've seen that. Are we talking yeah. about Tony Dodd, uh, UFOs and NATO, uh, and the one that? Richard D. Hall did a bit of work on. I think so, because the rest of the question reads, in particular, the way that they talk about UFOs appearing. They could detect UFOs coming into certain areas, and then military personnel would secure landing sites until the Americans turned up. Yeah, well, if the only knowledge I've got of that, strangely enough, 
where do you think that if we're talking about the UFOs and NATO and the ones I'm talking about, what Tony Dodd researched, uh, if anybody's not familiar with Tony Dodd, he was a prolific UFO researcher. I think he was a police, in, police detective inspector uh, uh, back in the 1990s. He's passed away now, Tony. And I did exchange a lot of correspondence with him when, regarding XS894, the lightning that crashed over the North Sea back in 19, September the 8th, 1970. Now, UFOs and NATO... Where and the, the human mutilations, where do you think the human mutilations were taking place? In the forests where Wolflands has been filmed, where the gamekeepers have been seen, the cryptids, uh, where the, the Broxer Forest, all very close, Dolby Forest. That, that's the only knowledge that I've got. And there's so many similarities to a lot of what's happening today with the sheep mutilations and everything. I'm not sure I've answered your question adequately there because you may have been talking about something else, but I know that there was something done in the UK, UFOs and NATO, and the actual location where they were doing it is the forest where we're filming wolflands and we're not dealing with the cryptids and the UFOs, which is uncanny. Treading in other people's footsteps once again, people. I'm not breaking your ground. Harry had also asked, um, are you still in touch with Richard D. Hall? I haven't spoke to Richard for a few years, uh, so no, I'm not. I, I guess I'm not, but uh, we, we were on good terms. Uh, I don't know what year it was, but when I was filming The World's UFOs, so probably in 2007, a guy that lives up on Staxton Wold near the RAF base, a farmer, he has a collection of UFO videos, and I don't think anybody's got more UFO-related material than this guy in the world. And he has cameras on cams, sweeping 24-7, and he contacted me years ago, and myself and Steve Ashbridge met him, and met him not just several times, lots of times, and, we, and looked at his footage, and he contacted Richard D. Hall. You're probably thinking, what's he gone to Farmer for? I didn't mention Richard D. Hall. He contacted Richard, and Richard came through to stay for a few days and wanted to film this guy, I wanted to talk about his UFO footage, and he backed out. And, and this farmer guy contacted me, says, Paul, will you do it? Because I don't want to do it. I was having a walk with my wife and my dog in Danes Dyke at the time, jumped straight in my van, and Richard did a documentary off the cuff. Everything, nothing, no questions sort of pre-warned about anything. I just arrived and did it. So there's a documentary out there, a short documentary, I don't know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, I don't know how long it is, about the Wolds UFOs and myself and Richard D. Hall. And Richard wanted to do some other stuff with me. And uh, at the time I was working and just timed in, wouldn't allow. No, that's fair. Uh, question from Mark. Mark asks, do you have any more updates on the humming bait incident? Uh, we've got another way. That's this, this, this is probably as big as Rendlesham. Uh, I, I, this is the most incredible UFO event that I've ever I've ever looked at. And every time I talk about it, people think it's amazing. Not because Paul's talking, just because of the the amount of information that's there. And if Can anybody you give us a summary of, of what it is. 1996, 97, 98, industrial unit on the outskirts of the village of Hunmanby. Hunmanby is featured in Wolflands. It means farmstead of the hound man. That's what it means in Hundmanby. And that's the village. And this is the place where people claim to be seeing these bipedal creatures through hundreds of years. So, right. Industrial unit on the outskirts of Humminby. Back in 96, 97, 98, three guys are working on this unit, the boss and two guys, and they're, 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 doing, they're spraying high-end motor vehicles, they're restoring open-top buses, fairground rides. June, July and August. June, July and August, 96, poltergeist activity starts to happen. 
stones falling from the air, not just little pebbles, handfuls of stones dropping from the air. There's no upper floor to this building. You can drive double-decker buses in it. Huge shutter doors at one end, huge shutter doors at the others. Bottom right-hand corner, you've got a toilet block. Above that, you've got his office. Everything else is open. Washers flying about, like steel washers, hitting the, hitting the sides of the building. Lumps of wood falling. All, all the light bulbs flickering and, and the power banging off in the in the warehouse and the the radio that's plugged in you said a brief summary because this is really long the radio that's plugged in still playing yet there's no power on that that happened june july and august 96 97 arrives similar things cars with no batteries in parked up in the compound radios playing all all sorts of things the boss locks up one night these guys, the two guys that worked with him, had, this was a second job. They had full-time jobs as, as painters and sprayers. One of one was a sign writer in the day. And on a night, back in 98, they're trying to forge a living, more money. They'd come and work with him at the warehouse. And they'd stay till sometimes three in the morning, sometimes just 10 at night. Do you see? They'd go to home, have a tea and go there. 97, similar thing. Boss's wife locking up one night, turns round. There's only a few units on this place at that time. There's a huge, it looks like a Bigfoot, stood in front of him. Where does that fit in with poltergeist activity? He said, I backed up to the fence, took a massive breath, and it just turned and walked into darkness. He said, once again, I only saw this huge outline. So that's an odd one. Huge footprints on the car, but no damage to the car. All, all three cars while they're working there. Right, we've got to, that's, that's a brief summary of 96, 97. Get to 98. They, all this has happened. It's like this poltergeist activity. The, the coins dropping from the air, jam jars falling from the air, old money falling, there's foreign money falling. Andrew Andrew Asquith, one of the witnesses, the two have spoken. See, the, I've spoke to all three, but one just refuses to to, to go any further. Uh, Andrew got cocky with the phenomena, as he said, and they all believe he did as well. He said he was he was shouting at it and asking it to give him lottery numbers. Give me some money I can spend. He said, and I just turned round after I'm preparing a car. And this, this circle's coming towards me in slow motion. And it hits me in the middle of the head. He says, and it hurt like mad. He says, but it like, like you're going slow. He says, and I'm spinning round on the floor. And there's a coin stuck to his head. Other two remember it and say it were funny because it served him right. They, you know, so we're all shouting at this, what were they called? The phenomenon. Now, people, are, and Andy asked for an overview of this. I've literally just skimmed this. Tons and tons to it, but it culminated in 1998 with a the, the shutter doors at the bottom of the compound are open, they're about eight foot, and they're working during the night. And I should have said that the other witness, Dave, his mum and dad used to come over the three year period on a night and just sit. They probably wanted to see their son, and they, they liked having a talk to other two lads, and then they'd go home and they, they'd come most nights. and you see, this sort of story seems now disjointed, guys, because I've not been able to go through it. But Andrew says, I walked down to the front of the, the, these shutters and looked out into the compound. He said, and there's a UFO. He said, and it can't be real. He still says it can't be real. He said, it was like a film set. He says, I can hear a noise like an helicopter, but it's not an helicopter. There's some at humming. He says, but this is like a classic 1950s, 60s, what you'd see in a ch cheap budget film. UFO. He said, it's, I can see it. There's a little glass bubble and there's, there's an alien inside it. 
He said, but it's, it's down compound. There's all smoke and there's electric charge coming off it. He says, and all sorts of things. He says, and I don't know what I'm looking at. He says, it's really, I can't believe it. Then then his story became, comes odd and he walks back to the front of the unit and open, there's a shutter door and a small side door. Opens the side door. Military personnel grab him, drop him to the floor with guns. Make him stay where he is. He doesn't move. Can't move. Speak to Dave. I said to Dave, because I, I spoke to them all individually. And they'd, they'd not spoke for years. And uh, the other one who won't speak, or, or can't say his name, let's just say he only spoke because others had told me. And then I, I, I just went into where he, where he was one day. I'd, I'd yeah. already dropped him a book off. <laughs> And I went back right, to see okay. what he thought about it. And he wrote, he says, uh, I said, did you see this little being in the, the object? And he went, no. He said, I saw three. He says, and I didn't, I couldn't see it, Craft. It was covered in mist. He says, I could see the shape of something behind this mist and all these bolts of electric. But they weren't stood together. It's weird. They're all working together in unit. He said, and I could see three. Dave, Dave's about six foot, six foot one. He says, a lot taller than me. He says, and they were in tight-fitting suits that looked like wetsuits. He says, and they'd got big heads. He said, and there were three of them. He says, I, I, I don't know what they were. He said, and I walked at front of the building and opened side door and military grabbed out of me with guns, real nasty bees, threatened me and everything. And So then I get to other one who didn't want to tell me much. And I asked him because they don't... I, Andrew had already said he saw him walking into the mist and disappear. So I, I said, did you see the being? Did you see anything? He says, I, th I saw one. He says, but I didn't see it. He said, I could see it amongst the mist. And so my last question to him was, Andrew said that, because if I'd have asked that first, I wouldn't have got any more. I said, Andrew said he saw you walking down the compound into the into this mist. He said, I, I don't have no recollection of that. And that were all I got from him. But his mum, you know, the mum and dad who... I mean, there's UFO sightings prior to it, days before, triangles. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got all that. It's just, it's just too big. It's in Truth Proof 3, and I think it's about 12,000 words. Could have wrote a book about it, to be honest with you. Uh, Mum and Dad were driving to the warehouse. There's a military roadblock set up. Not, not camouflaged vehicles, black vehicles. Stopped their car, took them inside a van. There's they believe military personnel all in black armed know where we live know everything about us just basically threatened old man and old woman they weren't old to be honest with you then but do you know what i mean uh, but they're still alive today and and released them and so they they got a, a, a telling off now the question was have i any more on the unumby incident yes we've got a guy they had a, a small red hatchback car got a guy 1998 driving home excuse me sees a small red hatchback car slewed across the road old couple looking up at a big black triangle and he's looking at it with them uh just before Humanby. now we don't know whether they got stopped after that or before that there's absolutely tons to Humanby, uh just like there is to wilsthorpe and 1998 that hillside that we were on about at bempton Rock anglers claim that a UFO landed on the hillside. They call it a spaceship. That That's 1998. Coast Guards at Hornsey, 1998. When we think it's connected to Hummer, but we haven't got a date. I've spoke to the actual Coast Guard driving into work. 
says that he's stopped with a military roadblock. Where's Hornsey compared to Hummanby? About 15 miles away, maybe 16 miles away as the crow flies. And he says there's a big triangle hovering in a field. That's a Coast Guard. Retired now, and I've spoke to him. Uh, we think it's, it's 1998, but we don't know if it's August 1998. Prolific year for UFO-related information, uh, well, on sightings and other bits and bats. Thanks for summarising that. I know it's a it's a big story to, to summarise as well. But two or three hours. I, I love the fact, though, that you got two-thirds of the way through it and then said, and then it gets odd, uh, given what you just talked about beforehand as well. It's just it's fascinating. So, yeah, thanks for that. And, again, people, I recommend you do pick up the books to, to hear these more and see, read these in more detail as well. Um, a couple of last questions from listeners. We've got Rachel over on YouTube. And, again, thank you to all the YouTube viewers. So, hi, because you can actually see this. Um, and to those that are now sending questions through as well. Um, could I ask if Paul has ever considered hypnotic regression concerning his memories of possible alien encounters? <clears throat> no, I haven't, to be honest. Uh, I, 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 well, say no, and then I contradict myself. I spoke about it once to a guy called Derek Tyler. He's, he's, I don't know if anybody, I recommend that you try and get him on your show. He's really knowledgeable, really interesting guy. Derek Tyler, American guy. He's wrote a, uh, a, a, Alien... Paradigm Shift, and he's wrote Alien Something, The Difficult Truth. I'll, I'll get you the names, Andy. And he spoke yeah. at Contact in the Desert as well. And and Derek kind of said something that rang, rang home to me. He said, well, he said, you know, you might not be able to remember. He said, because you might not want to remember. You might not, you know, you might not need to remember the stuff that could come back to you. But I don't want anything to taint it either to the person who asked that question, because it would have been so easy to write right night people and, and, and kind of lie and fill in. But all I've got is my dad waking me up with that first account and looking at a sphere of light going through along rooftops at Mexborough. I've not said that night then aliens came and stuff like that because I haven't. Some time after, child don't write a diary, eyes in the curtains. You know, do you know, and, and just loads of cameos of events. I haven't considered that and I don't think I would. Thank you. No, that's that's fair. It's it's not a nice thing to potentially have to go through. And you mentioned Whitley Strieber and his hypnotic regression tapes are available on his website, and those are horrifying. Just the screams alone that that come through. So well, yeah, just, it's, just, it's quite an and, intimate thing. And I know we're probably tight for time, but you know, lots of the names. But both my grand grandsons have had some strange experiences, and my daughters have allowed me to record them, and they don't remember now. These are little little children. Uh, I'll give you an example. I've got son-in-law and daughter teachers. Not that means bugger all in grand scheme of things, but the responsible jobs. They kept sure. her in a bump on bedroom floor. Bang. He's fell out of bed again. Fell out of bed again. They go up. We'll call him John. I think I've named him in book anyway, but they know I've wrote about him. I've, I did get permission. I didn't just do it. That's fine. Uh, they put him back in bed, and he gets to edge at bed. Why don't you sleep in middle at bed? What's the matter with you? Why? And all his toys are lined up on wall. Alongside at bed, I used to do this action men everything to stop them. He wouldn't know any of this. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have even watched a film about aliens or anything. You know, they're real careful with him. And they asked him why. Why his dad Nick? I says why. Why are you sleeping on edge at bed? You keep falling out. It's because of the man. I said what do you mean the man? He comes through a hole in the wall, and he picks me up, and he tries to eat me, but he doesn't eat me, and we shoot down through the hole in the wall. This is a little boy. 
We're not five year old. I think you were about four, four years old. And he's talking about this. Then we've got other one who's shouting for his sisters, or, you know, another daughter. He says, there's two, two blue men in his room. Two tall blue men in his room. And this, and this happened over a couple of days and I spoke to him about it. And he said, they float me. I said, what do you mean they float me? They float me. And I, and I say on this recording, and nobody's ever heard recordings, I say, for, for anybody who's, who's, who's interested, who's listening to this, he's pointing to the light bulb. I said, it's, he's saying they float because he's real sort of real poor vocabulary, vocabulary this little lad. Uh, he likes to play out. Other ones quite switched on. He's not daft, but he likes to play out and just do boys things. Yeah. You know, and they float me. But these were little lads, four-year-old. and. Uh, They've no, they've no memory of it now. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely no memory of it. Right. I know we didn't intend to get to that because you're asking questions. So sorry, Andy. No, no, that that's that's fair. And again, see, as a father, like that's that's a terrifying thing. And to some people, and with an interest in the UFO subject, any sort of abduction or experience is just a story, and it's it's dismissive. And that's fine because they're so there's so little hard concrete evidence unless you've it's gone through it yourself. Evidence. So, so some of his like myself, have never had those experiences, but are happy to to take that testimony and the story at, at face value and <coughs> listen to those. And as a father, that's horrifying to think, you know, that someone's child could go through that, let alone a grown a grown adult, you know. So thanks for sharing that as well. Um, and finally, a question from Reed Speed over on YouTube. Paul and another researcher witnessed a light orb or plasma phenomena on an operation in the UK, and he'd like to hear a little bit more on your thoughts of what these could be. So we're talking about, I believe you're talking about the the, the light, yeah, the, the, the light form that I saw with Lee Haywood uh, on November the 14th, 2019. I don't know. Uh, my thoughts, what they could be. It, it, some people would want to say it's a portal. This thing was huge. It's the most spectacular thing I've ever seen on the clifftops. I stand by saying it. Uh, I, I, Lee could be found on social media. You could ask him. He's a real articulate guy. So you know, I'm not. I'm not embellishing what we saw. I'm setting a camera up on cliff tops, looking out to sea to try and film these what we call the light forms, the intelligent light forms. I turn round and just in front of the hill that we've just been talking about, in the field with us is a huge sphere of light. Lee said the influence that the light was giving off was about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. It was huge, and as fast as I'm bringing this camera around, it's just. And it's gone. And uh, I don't know. Uh, you, I mean, you touched on it earlier. I, th that I think that these things can just enter our sphere of existence and exit our sphere of existence. I wouldn't say at will, but uh, whenever they want, basically. And once again, to the person who asked the question, I do apologise because I've, I've not answered your question adequately. I think there's loads of people out there, you know, uh, who, who do answer the questions adequately, but I don't think they know what they're talking about. Does that? And that's not, not. I'm not throwing insults out at people. I just think that there's too many people will be able to. I know what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. I know these, and you don't know nothing. I don't. I, if you did, we'd all be listening to you today, or we'd all be sort of doting on every word you say. And as I say, that, that I'm not labelling anybody in that. But a lot of the questions that I'm asked. I am unable to answer because I don't think I've got any more knowledge than you guys. 
And do you know what? I think people will appreciate though you're being honest rather than you could embellish and you could make something up and you could you could expand on it. But no, that, well, that's very fair. Do you know what I mean? Some people say, when well, I got this message and they've told me where they're from, but I'd rather not say at this moment, but they have told me. Yeah, not, not it'll that. be in the next book. Yeah, Listen, just before we go, I want to touch on uh, a few things on a quick fire round. I've not done this for quite a while, but I'd like to bring it back for 2023. Oh, it's very you. popular. And I've done a quick fire omnibus for a few folks over the last couple of weeks while I've took my little break. It was very popular as well. So thanks for all the nice feedback on that. If you've not heard it, go back and listen, folks, because there was a, a lot of old interviews where guests get to fire through a few topics we didn't get into in the body of the interview. Um, for this, Paul, as few words or as much as you want to say on each of these, usually a few sentences at most, just with time constraints. Um, the first one being the Rendlesham encounter. What are your thoughts? Something happened. Without a doubt, I think something happened. I've, I, I, I've spoke to Brenda Butler on on many occasions. I spoke to a lighthouse keeper who was actually working there from Flamborough Head, where I am now. Uh, I've spoke to Colonel Holt quite extensively. They, it, it wasn't a lighthouse that they saw flashing through that forest, in my opinion. I've also spoke to a British radar operator who was on the base very close to... I think it was Watton, RAF Watton, uh, and a face-to-face -face meeting where the Americans, he told me, came a few days after the alleged Rendlesham Forest encounter and took away their tapes, and they were told never to speak about what they'd witnessed because they'd seen these objects as well. I tried to line him up with Colonel Holt because it were in conjunction when Holt came through to the UK and we both spoke at a conference and he wouldn't speak to him. But I, st I still think there's a possibility that could happen. He, he, this guy had just had a major operation and he lives no, about six fair. miles from me, which is uncanny, you know. Your thoughts on the Deckmont Woods incident? Once again, I'm, I know this is Malcolm Robinson's. Uh, he's does, done a yeah. lot of research on it. I don't know enough about the Deckmont Woods. I'm glad you could pronounce that because I'd have said Dermot or something silly, but uh, <laughs> I don't know enough about it. But I, I would imagine that this this incident, something happened. But other than just saying that, I haven't got enough knowledge to, to comment. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. And if anyone wants to hear more on that, I interviewed Malcolm Robinson and we touched on it at that time as well. And you can go back into the archives. Um, the Calvine photograph, which of course in 2022, we saw the original print of the photograph. What are your thoughts on, on what's contained within it? Well, it's, a, it's an incredible photograph. It's just a pity that the people alleged, who allegedly took the photograph have not come forward to add a bit of validity because I know that some better thinking minds than myself have said that this is a reflection and it does make you pause for thought that it's a plumb bob, all sorts of suggestions to what it could be. I don't know. I don't know. Not being very good here, am I? No, that's fine. I'd rather get honesty. Um, well, I'll tell you what I'd is... like to say. It's a plug for Night People. Malcolm Robinson says that Night People is the best book on alien abduction he's ever read. And and that's uh, that's hefty praise. And Malcolm was a, a good guest as well back in the day. I think that was 2021. I spoke to Malcolm now. Um, I didn't ask him anything to say <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> It's like the old, for any, this is a niche reference, but any Alan Partridge fans where he's got his autobiography. <laughs> and he says, uh, lovely stuff, not my words, the words of Shaken Stevens. So yeah, <laughs> I, if I, I don't often get to quote Alan Partridge on the podcast. No, but no, a few it's, not, it's not bad though. That. Try it more often. Yeah, yeah I will, I will back of the net um uh do you prefer the term ufo or uap don't mind we're talking about the same thing aren't we uh i probably not not an old school but probably because i've used ufos 
so much. I'd, I'd still continue to use UFO, but I've no, I've nothing against it. It's, it's a bit like werewolf dogman, as though, as though, it, as though we have to sort of be in one camp or other. I think ultimately we're, t- yeah. we're dealing with the same thing. And finally, what does the word disclosure mean to you? Not a lot if we're not going to get it. Um, do, do you know what I mean? I don't know. Are we, we going to get disclosure? I know we touched on the fact earlier, you know, now that America, the American powers that be are talking more openly about the subject and the UK, will it, will it snowball and will we get that knock-on effect? Will that be disclosure? Will we ever get disclosure? I don't know. I think they just keep moving the goalposts. I think, you know, they'll just make them a little bit wider. They're just telling us what we need to know. So I think depending on what Ameri- the, the Americans disclose, will sort of have, have a knock-on effect to what how far we, we go with the subject. Uh, whether we ever get full disclosure, I don't know. Uh, do we need full disclosure? Uh, you, you know, when, when there's enough people out there that all know that there's, there's some reality to what we're dealing with, do we actually need a gov- Do I need a government, uh, an elite power f- f- from anywhere in the world to tell me what I experienced was something else or to, or to validify it for me as in a way i suppose once again you contradict yourself in a way it would it would it would help if they did openly come out and say you know we do believe that people have had these experiences for decades and decades and decades and we do have proof of that at least you know you could sort of what's the word hold your head up and think well you know when you, you sneered and you laughed and you thought this guy's talking what a load of rubbish and you're not going to get it. Just for that, just for myself, that would be the only way I'd look at it. Whether we get disclosure, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways people look at it, and I thought this was really interesting. Peter Lavender, the author, uh, alongside Tom DeLong of the Secret Machines books, um, he put out a tweet yesterday to say people really need to think about disclosure or contact away from being the old White House lawn landing. And he talked about what if one day the whole world had the same dream you know, some intelligence through our consciousness reached in. We all woke up, and that was it. That was contact, and that's how it happened. Instead of that would be some fabulous. spaceship lands. Yeah, yeah, that would be fabulous. And and why and the White House lawn? I know that's a scenario that's been thrown out lots of times. But unless unless some elite power in within the world know the agenda and know exactly what these things are, we're being very very sort of. I don't know. We're being very boastful thinking that they'd, they'd want to land on white house lawn uh, they seem to choose the nondescript people why did they why did they choose a, a uninteresting little boy in old denaby back in 1967 why are they why why do they choose people driving a lonely road up somewhere in scotland at 3 a.m mm. uh to, to, to make their presence known uh, why do they choose people of of no real note, and that's not to knock the people to be the to be the messenger of of to, to bring forward the truth. Uh, do, do they actually consider any, us to be anything other than I don't know ants? Look upon us with the same kind of uh, intent as what they'd look on any animal within the or insect within the the the, the, the planet Earth. I don't know us with that special. Really, we might not be. We think Absolutely. we are. Um, one thing I want to touch on, you've mentioned a few times, Paul, I said we would get it in at some point. You've mentioned Wolflands as a documentary that you've been working on. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what that is and when that may be coming out? 
Wolflands is finished. It's just having the music added to it now. It's as I say, it's took us three years. I know COVID knocked it back a bit. It's just first-hand accounts of people within eastern North Yorkshire, as up as far as Skinning Grove, uh, which is on way up on North Yorkshire coast, who claim to have seen something akin to a werewolf. And uh, once again, I never thought I'd be going down this road, but I think it's unique. I don't think there's been... Uh, I suppose people would say that, but I've not been bragging about the books like that. I think Wolflands is unique. When you see the amount of work that's gone into it, it's not just a talking heads where people sit in a cafe saying what they'd seen and then you get a flashback to some plastic-looking monster in, in the woods. That we've, we've been in the forests. We've trod the footsteps of these people and, and slept nights in the forest with them. And we've got their accounts, warts and all. It's, just, it's fabulous. Wolflands is fabulous. I'm sorry for saying and it, but that it be- is. No, that, that's it's your work, it's your it's your baby and, and others that have put the hard work into that as well. When are we expecting that to be released? Have you got a rough date? I should think we're only probably about a month away before we start pitching it. Uh, you know, to, to, we'll see what we can do with it first, see whether we... We, we don't know whether we'll manage to get it on Netflix. Uh, I've got a contact that's, that might be able to get, get us in there, but... We might not as well, but that's where we're going to... We're going to start there and we'll just we'll just go with it. But when I say... Les Drake's filmed Wolflands. He's been he's been instrumental in filming it with me for the last three years. So it's Les, it's a it's a fifty fifty venture. So it's not just Paul. Les has got involved in it as well. Les Drake. And if anybody well, doesn't that's, know, that's Les, good you... to hear. The, the Beatles wasn't just John Lennon and Paul McCartney. There was George and Ringo as well. Um, <laughs> good point. So yeah. yeah, that's that's fair. No, listen, Paul, you've been great with your time. This has been well worth the wait. I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it as well. How can people follow you? How can they follow your work? And what's your channel? We've got a truth uh, a YouTube channel which is Truth Proof uh, that we live stream most Thursdays at seven o'clock. Get a good interactive audience. There's over two hundred in last week. Uh, if anybody's interested in the books, the paperback books can be found on the Truthproof.uk website. The Kindle versions of the books are on Amazon, and you can also get the books on eBay. And anybody just wants to find me, Paul Sinclair, I L F at gmail dot com. And uh, I'd love to hear about any accounts, any strange stories. If you want to remain anonymous, I'd still want to hear about it. If you never want me to write about it, I still want to hear about it. It's, it's the nature of the game. I don't just want to listen to people's accounts or the only ones I can write about. You know, there's lots of people out there that never want their names mentioned or even talked about. I'm sat on a couple of really interesting cases now, which I'd, I'd, I will talk about them if I get chance, but I've got to have the nod to do it. Brilliant. That's great, Paul. Listen, it's been wonderful speaking to you. And like I say, I genuinely would love to have you back on in the near future oh, I'd love again. To come on, yeah. follow up. That's fabulous. Thank you. Brilliant. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little 
Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. And I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And they think I should see because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jay? Consider your space, consider your life, consider your